What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. Your, well, it might still be your newest Star Trek podcast. We're here on the Promenade. I'm David Majors, and I'm joined by Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What's up, David? You know, we can still claim it's new as long as we want. We still haven't hit double digits in our episodes yet. I I think we'll keep claiming it's new till we hit episode 10. I think so. I think that's what we have to do. We're still just barely out of space dock. We're, we're chilling at the promenade. We're, we're having a racked Gino or seven and we're, we're going to talk about some Star Trek because that's what we do here. Uh, let's just jump into the old business of the day as we do on promenade merchants. And for the old business for new listeners is this is where we talk a little bit about classic Trek, whether it's movies, TV shows, Anything from the history of Star Trek. We'll pretty much say pre-Star Trek 2009 reboot. And there was a story that I saw earlier today, before we recorded, from TrekMovie.com, uh, from Brian Fuller, who did an interview on a podcast recently, uh, The Inglorious Trexperts, uh, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Star Trek Voyager, where he talked about the fact that the, the great two-part episode from season four, Year of Hell, was pitched originally as a full season instead of just a two-parter. And, of course, everybody's favorite executive producer, Rick Berman, turned it down. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I read this story, Heather, and I thought that this was really, really cool for a number of reasons. I'm not sad totally that we didn't get it, but I think it would have been really cool to have a full season out of Year of Hell. How about you? Well, uh, I mean, to be completely honest, Year of Hell is my favorite Voyager episode. It it, it comes in at no, number one Voyager episodes for me. So to have an entire season based in in that essential that timeline because it's basically a different timeline that entire episode because it it, it it's. You talk about the big red reset button when it comes to some Star Trek episodes, like Year of Hell has the biggest red reset button at the end of that episode. So that that entire episode is based in its own timeline, and it would have been amazing. See, even my categories. <laughs> it would have been amazing uh, to have an entire season and watch them go through that. However... It doesn't surprise me that we didn't get that. <laughs> no, because it, it, the, that's not what Voyager was no, at that no. time. So. And 
Rick yeah. Berman specifically said this, that they they came to the decision that they wanted Voyager to be a contrast to Deep Space Nine, which was doing the longer story arcs, uh, unlike Voyager. They wanted it to be episodic because this was still in the days of syndicated television and the syndicated audience would have one episode they could watch and, and then they could move on. But what I especially love about this is that, um, they they mention uh Brian Fuller mentioned later on uh that Ira Stephen Burr who was the showrunner for DS9 uh who notoriously had countless run-ins with Rick Berman over and over and over again uh he Brian Fuller pointed out that Ira Burr and I quote didn't give a fuck what Rick Berman said <laughs> and he he just did what he wanted with Deep Space Nine. Uh, and in in here the article says, uh, Ira was like, "I don't care. This is what we're doing. And if you don't like what we're doing, fire me. If you're not if you're not behind what I'm doing, find somebody else to do it." And you've got to respect that. Like I I don't know Heather if you watched uh, the documentary What We Left Behind, uh, but that is exactly who Ira Bear was. That's exactly who he is. He, you can tell that he's definitely kind of a fearless director in that way. And for him to go to Rick Berman and just be like, yeah, we're going to do a three part episode. We're going to do like a three year story arc. What are you going to do about it? And it, it made Deep Space Nine what it was. And I love the idea that this could have been something more. And. In various parts of Voyager, you saw that there were story arcs there. Like early on in Voyager, it was Seska uh, or the Kazon. And later on with the Borg in Species 8472, there were things that you could clearly tell that they wanted to do and go back to to sort of build Voyager's own lore as they were in the Delta Quadrant away from everybody else. So the pieces were clearly there. Year of Hell is an entire season. That would have been really, really intense. And also it would have given the world more Kurtwood Smith, which is also would have been great because he's just a phenomenal actor. I think he would have been great as well for an entire season. Um, but yeah, one of the best episodes of Star Trek Voyager, maybe the one of the the best uh, and one of the best episodes in star trek just phenomenal work uh i love the idea that this could have been an entire season because it had all of the crew members spread apart uh, across time and across the galaxy and just finding a way to get back together and get the ship back together uh, because the ship was destroyed yeah that that would have been you know that would have been great today if star trek voyager were around today that would have been absolutely phenomenal it would be perfect if it were a star trek series today oh i completely agree with that i mean if you look at what we're calling the new golden age of star trek and the type of shows we have on tv today uh there would be no question in my mind that someone who's not named Rick Berman, who might be named Alex Kurtzman, would sit there and go, oh, that's a fantastic idea. But it, it, it didn't 
it, it, it just didn't fit in that that world of 90s track but it, like but that's also one of the perks for having or why deep space nine had the ability to go those places uh, because Berman still had another show on the air like Voyager where he could make track the way he wanted to and he just let Ira Stephen Bear run with Deep Space Nine and stopped fighting him on it and it, it worked out in the end because in the beginning like he, while it was on air they could argue that oh, Deep Space Nine wasn't getting as much views as Voyager, and, and Voyager's the, the type of track from, from exactly like the next generation, and that, that's the one we want to keep our focus on. But when you go and look back at it, Deep Space Nine is remembered as probably... As great television. The, uh, great, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. find the right words to describe. I don't want to call it the best track series out there, but it, it, it's one of the most memorable track series out there for the stories that they were able to tell during that time frame. And, and it's because they had a show like Voyager, which they kept more serialized and they didn't do an arc like this with, that they could tell those stories on deep space nine. So if they had, had have done that, we probably wouldn't have gotten some of the same stories that we did on deep space nine. So it it, 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 it would have been It worked amazing. out for both. It worked it, out for but both. It, it, it worked out for both, definitely. And they both have their own unique flavor to them, and, and that's great. Uh, but I have always said that it was the thing about the serialized storytelling that, for me personally, made Deep Space Nine special. Uh, I've always said that more than just as a Star Trek series, more than just sci-fi, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is still maybe my favorite television show ever save for maybe one uh and let's just jump into deep space nine uh we were talking about this a couple of days ago offline and uh just recently with everything going on in the world uh ds9 has been my comfort zone it's been the show that i've been going back to uh one thing i like to do with star trek is that i don't binge much. I will sometimes pick one episode kind of at random, either from a season or, or somewhere that, that inspires me. Just, just however I'm feeling, however in the mood. Uh, and I was watching a few from season one, a few from season five, just here and there, nowhere in particular. But you, Heather, mentioned one particular episode of DS9 uh, that I think we all know very, very well. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, that is in the pale moonlight. Yes, uh, because I'm such a DS9 dork. Uh, th- this is one of those things that everyone has those monologues that they could recite uh, back and forth if put to it. There is a lot of this episode of DS9 that I could that I could do personally. A lot of it. Not just the end monologue, but uh, a great deal of it. Uh, In the Pale Moonlight, uh, maybe the most polarizing episode uh, of Deep Space Nine and maybe all of Star Trek for a number of reasons. uh, Where, for a lot of people that, just to bring people up to speed, uh, this is during the Dominion War, 
in Deep Space Nine, where the Federation is losing, and losing badly. Uh, the Dominion is taking over the Alpha Quadrant pretty easily. They're beating the Klingons. They're beating the Federation. Uh, and during this episode, they had taken Beta Z, the planet Beta Z. And Benjamin Sisko uh, took it upon himself with clearance from Starfleet Command that always gets glossed over. He had clearance from Starfleet Command to do whatever needed to be done. And he opted to do something to try and find a way to bring the Romulan Star Empire into the Dominion War. And that was the the core of this episode. And it's with Captain Sisko, played by Avery Brooks, uh, talking to the computer with the captain's personal log. He's speaking to the camera directly, uh, speaking to the captain's personal log, uh, trying to uh, speak to him, speak out the events of the episode uh, to justify them to himself. Because he goes very, very far farther than any Star Trek captain we've ever seen in terms of compromising and bending the rules uh, that we know them to be. You could even make the case that he he breaks some rules, some very poor rules of the Federation and what people believe Star Trek to be. Uh, it is an incredibly polarizing episode, um, but I do think that it is one of the best episodes of Star Trek in history, Heather. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, the, this episode goes down as a truly legendary Star Trek episode. And it has everything to do with Avery's performance as, as, uh, Cisco, and it has everything to do with just the narrating and the framing of the episode. Because I mean, you you've seen captains record their personal logs, and and that uses a framing tool, but to use that as as a tool to tell basically tell the entire story of the episode um, just works so well. Um, I you know I'm not sure if I think it's polarizing. I think a lot of people. Oh, it is. It it, it really is because I oh, yeah. I know there's so many people who love it, and appreciate this episode, and, and I I don't the, know maybe the reason the reason people say it's polarizing, and what I've seen is that there are a lot of Star Trek fans out there that believe that the Federation and Star Trek uh, should always be a certain way. And a Starfleet officer would never do such things. And they say that Ben Sisko is a terrible Starfleet captain for the things that he did. He's a terrible Starfleet officer. He doesn't represent the Federation as the way it should be. To use the the time-honored catchphrase, Gene Roddenberry would hate this episode. Uh, See, I ignore those people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that when it comes to this particular episode. Uh, I I, I uh, I think it's ridiculous. I, I hear that and I think it's ridiculous because... 
uh, I could absolutely go on and on about this episode because even just watching it like four or five days ago, I picked up on something that I hadn't even picked up on before, uh, just watching the episode and reading up on it for the podcast. At the beginning of the episode uh, and throughout, you see Cisco holding a glass uh, mm-hmm. and he has a glass with with he's sitting down on his couch and he's he's doing the log and it looks like he's got a glass. It's like the end of the day and he's having a drink as you do. But as the episode goes on, he does two things. One, he starts getting a little louder and a little more intense, and he takes off the the top of his uniform uh, in a way to where he's sort of really leaving it all out there. Maybe he's had a couple of drinks, and he's uh, maybe a a little a little tipsy from all of it, and just the stress of the day. And and it's really Avery Book Brooks putting on a real juggernaut of a performance seeing Captain Sisko try and talk his way through the fact that he bribed Quark to not press charges for assault, one. Yeah. And two, he went to Garrick to help get a man out of jail to help uh, forge a data rod to convince a Romulan senator that there was a Dominion plot against the Romulan Empire. There is a lot happening in this episode, and from the perspective of Captain Sisko, you can absolutely understand why he would need a drink after this, because it was a lot. And he he was not just to the camera, not just to the audience, but he was definitely trying to explain it to himself, to see if he can justify his actions to himself. Uh, you can clearly see the conflict he's having as a Starfleet officer, but also being a Starfleet officer that is in the middle of a losing war. And th- that is the core of the conflict. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. Maybe my brain just works in weird ways, but I don't have any sort of issue with the decisions that he makes in this episode. And maybe it has to do with how it's framed because I mean, he starts out. Yes. He went to Garrick. Okay. You go to Garrick, you're going to end up with some sneaky shit. <laughs> like that. But, and Garrick he, said that himself. Garrick yeah. said that. But like when he first went to Garrick, it was to legitimately try to find evidence through the, le- spy-ish means uh, to convince the Romulans. It it was to find legitimate evidence. And then he starts off on this journey of trying to find a good way to do this. And it just... Every decision sort of keeps spiraling him down into the ultimate conclusion of the episode, which was that Garrick blew up the guy's ship <laughs> and murdered the senator. But because of that, the evidence that he had faked, all the inconsistencies in the data rod are going to be explained by the explosion and the Romulans will actually believe it and join the war, which they did. So it, it, 
it's like he he comes from a place of really wanting to do something to help and just spirals into a place where a lot a lot of it, bad it things kind of blows happen. up in his face it kind of blows up in his face and i think he says that at one point about how everything just blew up right right in his face but i i don't know it, it's very human and and i i can understand that because it, it's it's a very human journey that he went on to to try to achieve good things by maybe not the best of means and i i, I don't know i i don't understand the and and i'm not the person like i i can state some issues where where i have issues with some decisions that cisco made but this episode is not one of them i i i think he he definitely went down a bad path but it came from a place of really wanting to do something to help. And he ultimately helped it in the end. Just how he got there was not that great. Is that that weird? (laughs) No, 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 it's not weird. I think that they, they were making the point that the dominion war was not going well for the Federation. That, That is the template uh, that is the benchmark of this entire episode is that the war is not going well. And you hear that a lot through a lot of the later seasons of DS9. The Federation is losing the war. Yeah. And that that was brought up in numerous episodes. The Federation was not winning. This was not good triumphing over evil. Uh, this was evil winning. And... It took the a few Starfleet officers having to maybe bend the rules a little bit and explaining, and you see this many times in science fiction, that sometimes when you're the hero, or on if you're on one side of things, you have to bend the rules a little bit. And Cisco had to live with those consequences, and... He was struggling with that, and that's exactly what you would expect a good Starfleet officer to do. Yeah, yeah, he did the things that he did, but he was clearly struggling with it. Uh, suffice to say, this was not Michael Eddington. Yeah. This was not the same as him going after the Maquis and, and chasing down Michael Eddington. Uh, this was very, very different from that. Uh, but I love this episode very, very much. Uh, and I love DS9, obviously. And yeah, if if you haven't had the chance to watch it or if it's been a while, let us know at Prom Trek Pod how you feel about In the Pale Moonlight. Uh, I could talk about this. I could talk about Ben Sisko. He's kind of my hero. I could talk about this episode in DS9 uh, until the cows come home. Uh, if you don't have the documentary, What We Left Behind, watch it, get it, buy the DVD. It's great. Uh, Heather, you got some good news, uh, for the new business. <laughs> you got some, you, you actually had some things come in the mail, as we've been saying here on the podcast. We're waiting for things to come in the mail that are Trek related. Uh, but for you are the first. I am the first. I, I got a few 
happy, happy packages. <laughs> Definitely made my day over the past couple of days. So I mentioned a while back when we were talking about cosplay that I ordered some 3D printed Borg implants, which finally came in the mail from England. Uh, so they look really cool. I got to figure out how they actually what I need to get to actually get them to attach to my face. <laughs> but that's a whole nother story. But they're they're here. They're arrived. They look really awesome. Uh, so that's one step closer to me being able to cosplay Seven of Nines outfit from Picard. And I did actually receive another big package just yesterday. Um, I ordered a huge sample of pins from the awesome company called Fansets. Uh, they make Star Trek character pins as well as pins of the different ships and things. Uh, so I'm doing a little giveaway on my Twitter page. It's at NerdyGal33. And you have to be following our podcast page as well so follow me as well as the podcast at prom track pod and i have six different uh fan sets pins that i'm going to be giving away over the month of june just to uh spread a little trek positivity and and joy to folks uh so keep an eye out for that all right, everybody, get yourself some Trek pins. Uh, I've seen those fan sets pins. They're pretty cool. If you don't have them already, go go ahead and follow us. Follow us at Prom Trek Pod. Follow Heather at NerdyGal33. Get yourself some swag, as they say. Uh, but yeah, let, let's let's go back to something we were talking about in upcoming business for a little bit. We were talking a little bit about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Uh, soon coming, as we know, and we've been doing a future character predictions. Uh, we started with Michael Burnham, and now we're moving to the next member of the Discovery crew. And that is our Kelpian friend, played by the venerable Doug Jones, Commander Saru. Uh, Heather, I will let you go first. Uh, what, what are you seeing from Saru? What are you going to predict for Saru? What would you like to see? Well, to start off in season three, he needs to be going by Captain Saru now. <laughs> um, he, he, Saru has been on the wildest journey throughout the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. I think he, he's really been on a journey of like finding his own confidence in himself and uh, that he can truly be a really great leader and someone that people can look up to. And so now that Discovery is in the wild west of the, the far, far future, um, it and it is in there without a captain. And uh, Saru has basically been an acting captain, e even though technically Pike was the captain of Discovery in season two. Saru has basically been an acting captain since like halfway through season one. Uh, so he he needs to. I, I want to see him own that captain's chair. He, he's as much as Michael is the the leader and the the soul of the show uh Saru's the heart kind of he, he's 
he's such an incredible character for someone so alien and and so unique in the Star Trek universe, uh, which with what they can do with makeup right now. They were so lucky to get someone like Doug Jones to play him because Doug is just legendary. He deserves all the awards and never gets any because of the type of characters he plays. But uh, the things that he can do underneath all that prosthetic and makeup and still bring out such a amazing, thoughtful character like Saru uh, is incredible. And so I, I really look forward to him being finally being the captain of Discovery and, and, and really leading them into the future in season three. Um, okay, Heather, I agree with you, but I'm going to say something that, that's going to make me sound like David the Debbie Downer. Oh, uh, <laughs> I believe, I firmly believe that for the tenure of Star Trek Discovery, however long it's going to be on the air, there will not be one permanent captain. And I believe that they will probably tease Saru uh, taking the chair every now and then, but it will probably never be permanent. Uh, He'll be first officer, and like he said with Captain Pike in season two, uh, it will be a joint custody thing, with the discovery, uh, with whomever is the next person to take the chair, uh, it will be that person and Saru. But I do not see Saru uh, in the captain's chair as the commanding officer of the discovery on a permanent basis. Uh, but there is something in season three that I know I would like to see. Uh, since they're going to the future... 900 years into the future, I think that at some point they need to go back to Kaminar. And I would love to know what the Kelpians and the Ba'ul have done over the last 900 years and what they know and what they hear about Saru. Now, in the trailers uh, and the teasers for season three of Discovery, we've seen the Federation. We've seen the Federation flag. We've seen one trill. We've seen some humans. But I'm definitely more interested in the Kelpians and seeing what they did in the next 900 years. I feel like there is something to explore there. What do they know about Saru? What happened to Kaminar? There was a lot happening on Kaminar when we saw that planet in Season 2 of Discovery. I think that's something that really needs to be explored. I, I, I definitely agree with you on that, and I will share this tiny little secret. Uh, that episode of Season 2 of Discovery, The Sound of Thunder, is my least favorite episode. <laughs> oh. Because I, I feel like they, 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 there was just so much going on and so much left unexplained uh, for their, their culture to just drastically change in an instant on that planet and how how they were living and and the the fear between the two different species 
Um, but they they just left it so open, and I I, I really do want to know what happened. That means they've and, got plenty plenty of time to explore it in season three. Oh yeah. Or you can right. explore it on Strange New Worlds, and Captain Pike goes back and sees how they're getting along. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Y- you can explore it in either place, uh, just depending on the time frame. But yeah, I think we deserve to see what happens between the the Kelpians and the Baul, and uh, what, how Kaminar was left after that. You know what I especially loved about that episode? Uh, we got two brand new alien species in Star Trek that had never been seen before, uh, excluding Saru. The Kelpians, brand new species. The Ba'ul, brand new species. And if this is supposed to be the golden age of Star Trek, we better have some brand new aliens. Uh, it doesn't have to be... Klingons and Romulans, Klingons and Romulans. I'm I'm here for new aliens in Star Trek. Oh yeah, I I mean Discovery gave us the Kelpians, the Ba'u, uh, the Zahians because I love Poe. <laughs> Don't get me started on Poe. Uh, so I I I think they will. I think. This, well, season three is going to be interesting because I think we're going to be revisiting some of the aliens that we know. And what they're at in that time frame, but I, I, I think we'll be able to see some some new aliens as we go forward. Definitely, I hope we do. Um, Heather, next week, uh, if I may, since we're going to continue this, I'd like to talk about my favorite character from Star Trek Discovery so far, okay. uh, and that's Commander Paul Stamets. I think I would you be all right with that if we. Do Commander yeah. Stamets next? You know, I, I have an idea for our next episode, and we'll talk about this as soon as we're recording, but it does involve our next character on the list being Commander Paul Stamets. So. All right. Sounds like a plan. Uh, I'll be here because I want to know what's going to happen, and we hope all of you are here for it, too. So thank you all for listening to the Promenade Merchants podcast. Still your newest Star Trek podcast. We're we're still just a baby podcast. We're still just barely an ensign. We're the Harry Kim of Star Trek podcasts, everybody. We're, 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 babies. we're babies. But that means we'll stay an ensign. We'll get we'll get there. He he did become a captain. He did. That's true. That's true. He, Seventy he, years he, down the road, we'll get to be a captain. <laughs> He did become a captain. He was a captain in multiple timelines. He was a captain in, uh, I think, that timeline where, uh, in Endgame, I think in another timeline, he was a, he became a captain eventually, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So the sky's the limit is what I'm saying. We're, we're not, we're not going anywhere. So follow the podcast on Twitter at PromTrackPod. Listen to us in Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, get the RSS feed on DelzaJulietMike.com, wherever you may get your podcast. Look for it by name. We are the Promenade Merchants. And until next time, enjoy your Rakdagino, walk with the prophets, my children, and live long and prosper. 
What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business.